0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Jim. How are we doing this morning? Good. We're good. We're really It'll pick up better than that. <laughs> um, so today we continue our series, uh, Best Lesson Ever. Um, the uh, One of the things that I get asked very often here at Stewart Heights is, I want to go to a Sunday school class, so what class should I go to? Uh, and if I'm asked that question in this building, I say you need to change campuses, you need to drive ten miles up the road and go to Terry Brown's Sunday school class. Because if you want to go to Sunday school, that's where you ought to go to Sunday school. And people will generally say, Well I don't I don't, I don't want to drive the Saudi Daisy but okay, that's fine. Well then you need to drive three miles up the road to the Chattanooga campus and go to Bill Brandenburg's class. Uh, and they said, Well I don't I don't I don't want to go there. I said, Well then the other options are me or Daryl. So what do you want to do? Um, and that's how most of you are here. <laughs> um, but but Bill Brandenburg is here today with us. I am extremely excited about this. I've never asked you to come and speak to one of my classes before. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Bill was one of the first people at Stewart Heights that asked me to engage and to serve. So in my mind, uh, it's kind of like a, a spiritual daddy in, in several different ways. Uh, and a lot of the the things that you guys have benefited from, um, as a result of us doing things that we, the things that we do, are a result of this guy. So, uh, if you guys would welcome him this morning, and uh, he'll come and bring the lesson for us. So, Thank you. Thank you.
1: That was code for,
0: it's all my fault. Um,
1: so, my name is Bill Brenberg. I'm, I'm, I'm not used to hearing my own voice, so this is a little bit weird. Um, they've let me know at the last minute. So, a lot of pressure, right? Best lesson ever, really, Um, recorded, really, and then the last, following Terry Brown. I mean, that is just crazy. Um, I have similar discussions in my class. It, It goes a little bit differently because there's a lot of options at the Chattanooga campus. And people are kind of thrown when I know that they're there and they want to go to the Chattanooga campus. And I say, well, if, if you enjoy good teaching, you should go to Sandy's Zinson's class because that, that guy can flat out. Have you ever heard of Sandy Zinsen pray? I mean, it's like ugh, we can just go ahead and have the invitation right now. So I'm glad to be here. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Um, this is actually a little bit of a break. Um, we, we are down. We bring you greetings from our sister campus down to the south. Um, which is that way. Um, I'm directionally challenged, so anytime I get it right, I'm ecstatic. Um, I teach uh, a Sunday school class down there, and it's a little bit different in the fact that we we have some people that are willing to get up early in the morning. How many of you are early risers? How many of you are not early risers? So I have about 18 folks that come early in the morning, and we just learned last week that we get to come a little bit earlier because we're going to move the eight they're going to move the 9 o'clock service to 8.45, which means the 8 o'clock Sunday school now gets to start at 7.45. So you can imagine. um, And we did it for about a year and a half, um, where we were actually doing it at 7.30. So I teach at 8, and the room is only so big, so it's a good thing that 18 people come to that one, because then we have about 50 to 60 that come to the 10 o'clock hour. Um, So I only have to teach once this morning, um, so that's awesome. It's kind of like being one of the pastors who gets to teach gets to teach at Saturday that week. Um joined by my uh wife. I I promise not to use too many football metaphors, unlike Gary, who's gonna use them all day long. Get ready for it. Um I'm gonna use one. Um this is Crystal. Wave your hand Crystal. Don't get her confused with the stepdaughter. Um I guys, I outkick my coverage on this one. Um you pray that God will put you with somebody who compliments you. Um she handles all the things that I can't, um, that I don't, that I hate. Um, She's good in all those areas. And she's good at the things that I can kind of do, and then she's great at all the things that I can't. So, And with me, there's a lot of things that either I'm no good at or I really just don't like. So Crystal picks up all the slack, um, does all the dirty work. She's the the beaver and the detailed person in the family. And we get to make fun of her for how detail-oriented she is. So, and then... Steph is here, and she likes to doodle while she listens. She assures me that she's listening, so we have test questions later. Um, so, Steph, wave your hand. She's only 16. I've been fighting that since she was like 13, um, where everybody on the planet wanted to date my stepdaughter. God thought it was funny. I have two grown sons, and they're grown and gone. Many of you know them. Um, they have they survived me as their dad. Um, but... Had two sons, grown and gone, raising boys versus raising girls. Um, I'm going to tell you, very, very different. I was done. They were out of the house, and then God blessed me with a stepdaughter. So that's a a work in progress. I'll let you know how it goes. You can stay tuned. I don't blog or anything like that because I'm afraid of what I'd put on it. So um, Jim asked me to come and teach, and he nailed me down, and um, I'm not... In any of the silhouettes, we determined that earlier unless you go back to my hair back in the 1970s, 80s. Um, Yeah, there's kind of a mullet thing going on. So uh, best lesson ever. Um, I thought about a lot of the different... I'm very um, exegetical when I teach. I I like to go to God's Word. I let God's Word do all of the teaching, and then I just provide the little bit of color uh, that I can. I tell my class on a regular basis, God's dealing with me in in very, very, very different ways all the time. And sorry, but you guys get the splatter. Um, So we're just changing location in a different crowd. Many of you I've known for a while. Many of you are very new faces. So um, I appreciate the time, and and we'll go to God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us. We just pray that you'd be with us over this next uh, few minutes. I ask you for guidance. I ask for your spirit. I ask for wisdom, Father. Bless us and guide us. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, a very familiar passage. When Jim asked me to teach um, my best lesson ever, I just put the best aside and said, "What? if I had one chance to teach somebody something, um, what would I teach on? What passage of Scripture? Because it was a foregone conclusion that we would be in God's Word. And I thought about all the passages that, I mean, I, I love to take, I love the narrative of Scripture. We don't do that nearly enough. <clears throat> we'll go to a verse, we'll go to a verse, we'll go to a verse it will prove our point. Uh, we really like it when the Bible backs us up, right? Um, but I enjoy going and finding whole long streams and just letting the continuum happen, letting the narrative of Scripture speak to us. And I know with Terry last week, you probably got the same thing. Um, so I thought about all the different passages that are just alive and just coming off the page. Uh, Acts chapter 12, Peter in prison. You ever read that whole story? Go read the whole story of Peter in prison and it starts off with Andrew is beheaded and then it gets better, okay? Um, trust me. But it, it, it's, it's full of funny stuff. I mean, God's word is just alive and jumping and, and just, it, it's just incredible. We're in the midst of a study on, it's a Tony Evans book, um, that goes and looks at Abraham and Isaac. Um, What a marvelous, fantastic story. Okay, account. I hate when you use stories because then it makes it sound like it's fairy tale stuff. Those things really happened to real people. The Abraham, go go read that whole chapter, um, Genesis 22, I believe it is, and it'll just come alive as you think about it and put yourself in that day to day, real life stuff. I love studying Genesis Um, you go back all the way to the creation account and I, I love to look at things like what day did God create light you guys didn't know there'd be a little quiz right let's see how good a teacher Jim is right no pressure okay on what day did God create light okay first day on what day did he create plants day two Okay. But by the way, what's the first thing that God created? The, you're not allowed to answer this. Pardon? Some would say, cuz that's what the text says, right? I have a different theory, and if you want to, we can go you can go buy me lunch and we can talk about that. <laughs> okay? So, when did God create the sun and the moon? Okay. It's pretty incredible that he created light And then waited a couple of days. He actually created plants. And the whole cycle of plant and plant life. It doesn't say he just created the plants. He created all of that stuff. Okay? And I want you to write this down. There's a place for notes. So I get you to get your pens out, right? I don't have an outline. Okay? Scares Jim to death when I don't have an outline. (laughs) Okay? But I want you to write down Genesis 1.16. Because I want you to, to, to go back and read that verse. Because God is in day four. And how awesome, and how awesome is such an overused word. What, what's the word for just totally, completely out there our God is? How, what's, what's the word? Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm I am incredible. The, the English language fails, okay, to describe our God, okay? I want you to see this because, you know, as Moses is writing this down, um, God's, God's dictating to Moses the creation account, and he gets to day four, and he says he creates two lights, the greater light to rule the day. What do we call that one? The sun. You guys are good. See, Jim, not too bad. The lesser light to rule the night is called the moon. And then he says this. Oh yeah, the, oh yeah, it's Brandenburg, right? He made the stars also. How many stars are there? Science tells us that the best they can guess, I looked this up this morning, I've got a counselee who lets me know that bazillion is not a word, um, they estimate, the best they can estimate is there is a septillion stars in the sky, 10 to the 24th power, a lot of zeros, isn't it? So we're already into that number, you get to a million and we, we get to the point where we can't comprehend. You ever seen a million of something before? We're talking about so far beyond a million. The, B- the Bible tells us this. Science tells us this as well. Science finally caught up to the Bible. That if you go out to the... How many of you been to the beach? Okay. You ever picked up... You, how many of you picked up consciously and thought about the, the sand in your hand? And science tells us this. Now, I, I don't get this just from the Bible. Although the Bible is the authoritative source that I would go to, science has finally caught up and said, the stars in the sky are are as numerous as, and maybe more numerous, than the grains of sand on every beach in the whole world. And my God, on one day, as an afterthought, went... That's mind-numbing stuff. By the way, if you believe in a literal account of creation, and you believe in a literal translation of the Bible, you are a young earther. How many of you knew you were young earthers? Okay. See, so Brian's doing his job. Now he's going to do it for other people, and I really don't like that. Um, and if you feel like I do, you can buy me lunch, and we can go talk about it. Um, but <clears throat> you're a young earther, and the earth is somewhere between six and 7,000 years old. Okay? That's, that's a, a careful study of the, of the of the Bible and all the lineages. There's some little gaps there. But about 4,000 B.C. to 5,000 B.C. is where the Genesis creation um, happens. And all those things with the little footnote um, of he made the stars also. Yeah. Starting right now today, if you were commissioned to go build a star, how long would it take you? I love these um thank you thank you so then four thousand years later okay i want you to think about how unthinkable it is that the creator entered into his creation because that's what happened the jews were looking for the great advent they were looking for this big showy coming they were looking for the promised one to come into the world okay And we all know the account and the story. We're so much smarter than that, right? That's how we think. Okay, We weren't. We'd be looking for the same thing. And Jesus came. And you guys have heard that story, but I want you to really get it. I want you to get who he was when he came. I want you to get the fact that he set aside his glory and he came and he entered into his creation with the sole purpose of buying back, redeeming what was already his. And we see things happen in a very careful way. We see all this stuff played out. And you know, he was born about 4 BC. We can't even get his birthday right, right? You'd think that the the anno domini is in the year of our Lord. That you know, he must have been born on year zero. And by the way, if you think there was a year zero, we don't even get that right. It went from one to one. Okay. He was born about 4 BC in a very quiet, humble way. Okay. And this very quiet, humble man, God man. Okay, came on the scene with the sole purpose of living on this earth a sinless, spotless life because that was the requirement, Okay, that there had to be a perfect person to take our place. And the creator, creator, because Jesus was there, the Godhead were there at the creative work. Okay, If you look at careful evaluation of the passage, it says, let us make man in our image. God wasn't talking to the angels, God was talking in the Godhead. Okay. And we see him come in and we see him come on the scene. We see him at twelve years old. We get these little we we see Jesus in his in his in his at his birth. We get to see him eight days later at his circumcision. We get to see him just a couple of years later at his dedication to the temple. And then we get to see him at twelve. And I want I want you to get this. Mary and Joseph being the good Jews that they were. Um, We're making the journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem, and they made it on a regular basis. They were obedient. They were uh, following all the Jewish laws, and they went for Passover. And they went, and they went on a family caravan because you travel in a caravan. It was all by foot and by donkey. They didn't get in their nice cars, or they didn't have those, right? And they went and they made the trip, and they're coming back, and, and and. Get that it's probably somewhere between 20, 50, 100 people making this journey, okay? I, I tell you, the God, the Word of God is, is extremely chock-full of funny moments because, get this, you got, how many of you have kids, okay? Imagine yourself on a journey, you ever gone on a, a long uh, family vacation and uh, with the the rest of the extended family and the kids end up this way and that way, get this, they lost the Son of God. I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. Well, where is he? He's 12 years old. So they'll go back and they look for him. And I, you you got to get all that's in there, okay? Because they go back to find the Son of God. They've misplaced the Messiah. And where, where is he? They finally find him. Guess where he is? He's in the temple. And guess what he says? Why wasn't this the first place you looked? At, he's 12. He says, Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? Now, was he in a furniture store? Was he in a carpenter shop? No, he's in a temple. Even at 12, he is fully understanding of who he is and why he's there. Okay? Quiet for another few years, and then he comes on the scene. And he comes on the scene, and, and there we see in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3 through 17. And I love looking at the uh the, the the harmony of the gospels because his baptism his account of his baptism is in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it says that he goes to be baptized. And you got a great scene there where John the Baptist, who's been declaring the coming of the Messiah, Jesus comes to him, and John they have this little discussion where John says, Jesus goes down and says, "I need you to baptize me." And John's like, "Me baptize you? That's that's crazy talk. Okay, that doesn't need to happen. You, I, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes." And Jesus says, "No, you need to do this. I need to do this, and you need to do this for me." And he goes down and he's baptized. And you got to get what happens next, okay? Because if I go in and got baptized, and I did, the heavens didn't open up in part, okay? and the Spirit didn't descend, and there was no disembodied voice, but a disembodied voice, the Holy Spirit came down and said this, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Because at that point, Jesus starts doing this in his ministry. He's been doing this his whole life. What is God's plan? What, What is God's mission, and how do I become a part of it? I've got a lot of Christian brothers and sisters that I just love, and they, 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 I love the fact that they can come to me, and they can help me out. I say things that are a little bit off, and they say, you know, th- this is what I used to say, right? I, like the bumper sticker, God said it, that settles it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. What's wrong with that bumper sticker? It yeah, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. God said it, that settles it. Okay, I used to say this, because it sounded really holy and spiritual, Right? What is God's plan for my life? Okay. Sounds really good, doesn't it? How many times, how many of you have said that before? Okay. We're getting into dangerous territory. I don't know if I want to raise my hand or not. Okay. The danger is, is I'm still making that whole thing all about me. What is God's plan? Okay. Let's, let's leave the for my life off of it, okay? We see this over, if you look in the passages, okay? If you're dig, digging into God's word, you'll see this over and over and over. Jesus waited. Jesus sat. Jesus waited. Jesus was looking around. Jesus would see a, a, a little guy. I like the stories about the little guys, right? I am standing, right? <laughs> the, the little guys in the tree, Okay? That's a God thing. He sees somebody that needs to be healed. That's a God thing. He's looking around. Jesus waiting and not going to one of his best friend's houses when he's on his deathbed. Lazarus. OK, because and he said the disciples ask him, why aren't we going? We're ready. to go. We're packed. OK, why aren't we going? And Jesus says this. It's not time yet. OK. Because he's interested in he's got he's got one priority. He doesn't have priorities. He's got one priority, and that's the glory of his Father. Over and over and over and over. And here's the hard part. Ready? We're commanded to be just like Jesus. If you're a Christian, that's not an option. Okay? We're told to be just like him. And I love this passage here because right after he gets baptized, immediately the... And I want you to see this. He is spirit led out into the wilderness to be tempted. And he's out there for 40 days with no food. Okay. And Satan comes at the end of that 40 days and tempts him three times. And I want you to get this because we're supposed to be just like him, right? Satan comes and he tempts him and Jesus responds. How does Jesus respond? Pardon? With scripture. He says, you said this, but the, the word of God says this. I mean, th- this is the Creator, remember? He could have waxed eloquent. He could have had that, that, that answer. Like He did so many times with the Pharisees. okay. But instead, He said, He used Scripture. Not once, not twice, all three times. okay. And you go through the rest of that chapter after the temptation, Jesus comes back. And I want to focus on really quickly in this few minutes that I have left, that we have left, is that we get one of the full sermons that Jesus gives while he's here on this earth. Okay. Now, we've put a title on it. He did, I don't think he had an outline either, but I think he thought about it. What will I tell these people? What are the important parts? Okay. What, what, laying out this thing from beginning to end, and I want us to be really careful, and I don't have time to read it all to you. You need to go home. I always assign homework too, by the way. Did Jim warn you about that? Okay, write this down. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read what he really has to say. I, and my best lesson ever, this may not be my best, but I tell you what, I use this one all the time. I'm in the counseling ministry. Crystal can tell you, she's in there helping me with that stuff. Um, every single time, no matter what the problem is that is presented, I take them to this passage. And we read, and I have them read it three times. And I have them memorize the summary of, Jesus' conclusion in this message. Because it speaks to any of life situations. Okay? I've probably gone through the Sermon on the Mount and set it up like this at least 50 times. Okay? And when you're a teacher, that's a lot of times. Okay? And he comes in, and, and the very first thing is, is in Matthew chapter 5 that he does. After he comes back from the temptation, and after he goes and he calls a few disciples, and he's in that whole mode, It says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And that's not just the few, that's a whole crowd, a whole multitude of people are there. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them saying. And I want you to think about being there. And I want you to think about the fact that there's a whole bunch of people who are coming on the scene and claiming to be the the promised one, the Messiah. What makes this guy different? Well, you know what makes him different? This is the one that when he got baptized, the Holy Spirit came down and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the one who was the God man who went and did miracles. I love studying his first miracle. Okay? Mom asked him to do his first miracle, and what's his response to mom? Yeah. I love the fact that he calls her woman. Woman? That wasn't a term of disrespect. Okay. That was setting the the that was Steering the conversation, right? It wasn't mom. Don't you know that my time has yet come? As woman, do you not know that my time is not yet come? That, there's so many things that are just full of meaning. What does that mean? Okay. And when you get in, you start dissecting Jesus' ministry. When you really get into what he did and how he did it, you'll you'll get a sense of what that means. And he comes and he starts speaking here, and he and he does the what we call the beatitudes, the blesseds. And it's a shame that we don't really pay attention to them. We just whip right over them, don't we? Blessed, 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 blessed. Okay, what's the rest of the passage say? We really need to pay attention to the blesseds. because this is the Creator telling us who's going to be blessed and He's giving us a foreshadowing of the life that He's going to live, the life He's going to lead, and the life that we need to lead. And He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely. For my sake how you doing on those meekness you got that one down man. Jesus had it down it I mean looked like he wasn't even trying and yet it says he's tempted in all points like we are so there were times where he really wanted to not be meek and yet he had that under control blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness I tell you what, you know, I'm going to meddle just a little I get to be a Sunday school evangelist. You know what that means? I don't have to worry about if you come back or not if I offend you. (laughs) That's awesome, by the way. Thank you. How many of us, how many Christians today in North America, in the United States, will spend more of their thought processes, cycles? You only have so many of those today, right? We can number them. You'll think about a certain number of things, and we're capable of thinking about a lot of things. We get kind of random, but it's a finite number. Most Christians will spend more time thinking about this big game that... Don't get me wrong, man. I am a sports nut. I put the I put the natic in fanatic. Crystal's laughing at it. We travel 600 miles to go to two hockey games. Okay, 12 degrees, blizzard conditions. Driving there was kind of sketchy. Didn't know if we were going to live or not. Seriously. We went to the Winter Classic. We were outside in 12 degree weather for four hours watching a hockey game. Okay, five hours. <laughs> See, you complete me. <laughs> so I get it. Okay, I love sports. Okay, I can we we can say if you want to buy me lunch, we can go talk about the game this afternoon for hours. Okay. getting to be a theme, isn't it? (laughs) Okay. But shame on us for having ready access. How many of you, and this is totally rhetorical. If anybody raises their hand, I will feel bad for you, so don't. (laughs) How many of you could find your Bible this morning because it's right where you left it last Sunday when you got home from church? That's where most of us are. And that's where most of us stay. And Jesus gives us, our creator gives us, such an awesome opportunity. The the, the one who made the stars also, get this, if all he do- did was save us from an eternity in hell, we got way better than we deserved. And if, all, if, if the next thing he did was just give us a, a home anywhere in his zip code, then it's, and I'm, aren't you glad you're going to the Baptist section of heaven, by the way? <laughs> if that's what he did, and that's all he did, I, I, I am beyond blessed. But this is what the Bible tells me. That this would sound arrogant if it wasn't written down. Okay, he desires to have a relationship with me. A relationship. He desires to have a relationship with each and every one of. And get this, he's capable. How can, so, how can one being be able to have a relationship with six billion people simultaneously? Genesis 1.16. He made the stars also. It, it, he can handle it. He can do it. So we see Jesus coming here and we see him speaking. We see him speaking with authority. He, he comes and he talks about, the, he does the Beatitudes. He does the, you are the salt and you are the light. Okay, That's the we, folks. How you doing on that salt and light thing? Then he comes and he says something very important in, in, Genesis, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. He comes and he has to say, before I go on, I need to tell you that I came to fulfill the law. Not to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. Because he's about to say some things about the law that are going to be questionable. Because he's about to turn religion at its time on its ear. And I can take out the on it at its time. He's about to turn established religion on its ear because religion had become and it has become and it has stayed. If you're just doing religion, you're not doing relationship, then it's all about what's on the outside and it's all about appearances. And the Pharisees had made a tremendous profession out of it all being about what's on the outside. Okay, and he comes and he talks, then he talks about the law, he talks about murder In in verse 21 through 26, he talks about adultery in 27 through 30. He talks about divorce in 31 32, oaths in 33 through 37. He talks about uh, that vengeance and the revenge, the eye for an eye in 38 through 42. And then he tells us this, we need to love our enemies. How you doing on that one? Yeah, we'll leave that alone. Chapter division, they're unfortunate here. It's one continuous flow. Uh, he talks about giving to the needy and how we need to do that. He talks about prayer and how to pray properly. He even gives us a model prayer in this in this sermon. How we're supposed to be fasting, how we're supposed to be looking to put our treasures in heaven. I mean, we get a primer right here of the Christian life in these three chapters. Okay? In this one sermon, we get the whole outline of this is how we should live. And here's here's the core Central message, I want you to write this down too. It's not what's on the outside that matters. It's all about the heart. 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 We have this, we make fun of psychology out in the world, but we have this problem in the fact that we gravitate toward it. I've got a problem with drinking, what do I need to do? I need to stop drinking or at least drink less. Okay, I got a problem with eating. Yes, I do. What do I need to do? I need to eat less. I've got a problem with it. We teach Christian behaviorism. It's all about the behavior. It's all about what's on the outside. And guess what? That's not what Jesus said. Okay. If you look at all of these passages all the way down through here, he's teaching us that it's not what's on the outside that matters. It's what's in your heart. And oh, by the way, guess what? Who can change your heart? You can't. I love... Go go do this study. Go look through all the prepositional phrases that happen when it's talking about the change, the metamorphosis that needs to happen in our lives. As we move from who we are to who Jesus is and those images become more and more superimposed so that people see less and less of me and more and more of Jesus... Guess what? All that changing is happening in me. It's happening to me. It's happening for me. But it's not happening by me. He is doing it. He is the changer. I I submit this. Jesus is the game changer. He's not just a game changer. He's the game. Okay. without him, we're done. Without him, I have no hope. They've heard this before. You'll hear this. About me a lot. Without Jesus. I know Bill Brandenburg. And I can tell you this about Bill Brandenburg. He's an evil evil little man. I am not kind by myself. I don't give. If I'm left to myself. I don't love anybody but me. When it's just me involved. Any of that stuff that you ever see happening. If you you get to see it happening. Okay know this that that's the holy spirit working in me and on me on me okay and if you submit to him he's going to work on you jesus has all the power in the universe but he's still a gentleman and it says he says this in revelation behold i stand at the door and i knock he doesn't barge in okay he's knocking and we need to be that vessel that's willing to let him do the work so i get to the the end Okay, the conclusion. And Jesus is very direct. And then as he's, as he's wrapping up, I, I find this very ironic. He goes to a metaphor. Okay, and again, I, I, I believe this is one of the linchpins of, of our Christian walk and our Christian faith. That Jesus gets to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. And, he, and how many of you heard the story when you were a kid, the, the song? I can't even do it without doing the hand motions, right? The wise man built his house on the rock and the foolish man built his house on the sand. And I love being a part of a teaching church. I love being able to be even counted in the, 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 the Gary Jareds and the Brian Smiths and the, the Terrys and the Jims and the, the, these. The fact that I'm here, that I got invited is like, I'll, I'll think about it when I get done and then I'll go turn into a puddle. Okay? But I love the fact that we are in a teaching church. And I used to think that was awesome and that was great and that was the end game. And then one of my brothers, having to be Terry Brown, we were at lunch one day and I was going off on that rant. Isn't it awesome to be part of a teaching church? And he went, eh. And I went, what do you mean, eh? Meh. And he said, I think it's better to be part of a church that's full of seekers are you seeking? Wise man, foolish man. Jesus built his. The, the wise man built his house on the rock. Foolish man built his house on the sand. The 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 storms of life came. They all had more in common than they had separate than they had different. Okay, and I want you to get this. Really, really, really clear point. Jesus says, "He who say, hears these sayings of mine and does them is like a wise man. He who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them is like a foolish man." What was the difference in those two men's lives? Because I want you to see the results. One of them experienced the storms of life, and his house was fine. The other one who experienced the storms of life, when the storms came along, his house fell flat. And Jesus even says this, and great was its fall. What was the difference? Pardon? Okay, the difference is that word that we don't really like we like it for our kids but we don't like it for us and that's obedience they both heard the sayings of jesus one was obedient and one was not what are you doing with the sayings of jesus do you know the sayings of jesus and i don't tell you these things to make you be able to pass the win the trivial pursuit game on jesus it's not about knowing more about him okay it's about knowing him it's about relationship Are you seeking after Him? Are you diligently seeking Him like it says in Hebrews 11.6? Are you striving to obey? Because after a while, we get to the point where we can be the imitators of God as Paul calls us to in Ephesians 5.1. And I want you to get, this is my goal, to get to be able to get to this point. To be able to say like Paul did, follow me even as I follow Christ. I want to be able to say that. Maybe somebody else could say that for me. I'd, I'd, I'd caution you. Don't watch me all the time. Okay? Follow me even as I follow Christ. Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Because relationship with him that he invites us to, the creator of the universe, the he made the stars also, he invites you to regularly share yourself with him. He knows the thoughts before we think them. He knows the number of hairs we have on our head. The equivalent today would be like saying He knows how many cells you have in your body at any given point in time. He knows you that intimately. Yet He says He wants us to share the desires of our heart with Him. I, I, I invite you. I invite you to come have that relationship with Him that only He can give. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the time You've given us. We thank You for who You are and for what You've done and what You are doing and what You will do. You're pursuing us, Father, and we ask You to keep it up. Stay after us. we So that, that perfect work that You've promised to complete in us is done. We thank You for these folks. We thank You for this class. We thank You for Jim and his ministry. We thank You for Stuart Heights. And in all these things, We give you the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.